Hi, everybody. I'm Sunny, and this is We Gotta Talk, a live weekly digital talk show and podcast where we like to dig deep. Real talk, big topics. Now, let's dig in. so excited. Hey guys, welcome to season two of We Gotta Talk. I am Sunny and I'm so, so glad you're here today. It's been a long summer and we deliberately took some time off of doing this live stuff because there were kids crawling everywhere for a few months and it was busy and crazy, but now we are back on track. And let me tell you something, producer Rachel and I have booked out a really, really interesting and engaging season of We Gotta Talk. We have a variety of topics that we're gonna dig into and I'm really excited about today. We're talking about sleep, specifically sleep health for adults. So we'll get to our guest, Kelly Murray, who's an adult sleep consultant coming up in just a couple of minutes, but we wanna pop on and check in with producer Rachel. Looking <laughs> so chic, may I add. I love this look. This is very producer vibes today. Yeah. The I collar, thought... the, the glasses. Yeah, I thought I should really go for the producer look today. Let you be the stylish <laughs> host. I was like, I'm going to be in the background today. It's stylish is a stretch. Um, I should put this caveat out there. If you hear loud crashing, we're having some landscaping done to the front of our yard and gas lines have been cut already. And don't worry, proper protocols protocols are being followed, but it got dicey there for a second. So it may be a little loud in the background. Okay. And for that, I apologize. Um, so we got some cool stuff, Rachel. We talked already about today's guest and how we're digging into sleep and the importance of a good sleep hygiene and a good sleep routine. How do you sleep at night? I have a hard time. I have for the last several years. It's been like very difficult. I used to never be like that. I could hit the pillow and I would be out for like 12 hours. And then hmm. lately with, you know, stress and anxiety, it, it's harder. I have more anxiety at night, right? Where the mind is rolling and you can't turn it off. And I've, I've tried everything, all the things, right? Calm, uh, meditations, uh, CBD, like all the things I've tried it all. Um, but I really think it comes down to the, you're, you telling yourself that story of, I have a hard time sleeping. Right. And right. Oh, it's just, true. And then you reinforce that narrative and it becomes even more difficult. Yeah. Why do you do this? Do you sleep well? well, I sleep well, which is weird considering that for a period of nine full years, someone was either attached to my boo while I was sleeping or, which is probably why I sleep great. Cause I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm alone for the first time in my bed in like a decade almost. So I'm sleeping great. But what I do that's very lo-fi that I know that this isn't rocket science and I can't wait to hear what Kelly thinks. I, I read myself to sleep. So I prop my Kindle up. I lay the pillow against the nightstand at a tilt. I put my Kindle on dark mode or whatever it is, night mode. And I tilt it this way and I just read and I like stick my little finger out and go like this. And as I read, I just fall asleep. It's very simple, but it works. So Hey, um, if but, it works, it works. I know people who have to sleep with the TV on. I also have a yeah. white noise machine that helps me mm -hmm. significantly. I mean, all, all the things. But yeah. there's, we've got a sleep study out that I thought was interesting, which only goes to prove that yes. getting good sleep is super important, which we yeah. know. So uh, according to a study in the journal um, JAMA, which is the Journal of American Medical Association, their neurology department, 
how long older adults sleep could impact their brain health. The main takeaway is that it's important to maintain healthy sleep late in life. Now, this is something we'll talk about with Kelly too. Women, especially as we get older and go through hormonal changes, can, it's very typical to have um, sort of disturbances in overnight sleep and inability to, uh, to go back to sleep once you wake up. So we'll dig in to that. You also found a really interesting talker about yeah. celebrities and sleep. Okay, so celebrities who track their sleep with devices, Kim Kardashian, and Gwyneth Paltrow, they wear this thing called the Aura Ring, which I'm hearing a ton about lately. It's a wearable device, it tracks sleep. Kim shared on social media that her average is eight hours and 15 minutes, which the app considers optimal. And Gwyneth Paltrow said her amount of sleep, which was seven hours and 17 minutes was quote, a lay mass score, which the only, if Gwyneth Paltrow and Kim, who are literally, they employ an army of helpers, aren't sleeping well, then there's no hope for the rest of us. No, and money to do every kind of sleep study product, child help so that you can sleep at night. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's crazy. That is something. Um, go, go ahead. What were we going to yeah, say? Yeah, I was going to say, I, I'm really interested to hear what Kelly has to say about if we track our sleep, cool, but like, what do we do about it? How do we sleep right. better? What, what is this useless information that's telling me I didn't sleep well? No shit, I didn't sleep well. I woke up feeling like garbage. Or <laughs> like, right, right, but, right. Know, how can we utilize those to our advantage? Well, I can't wait to dig in. Rach, we'll bring yep. you back on the flip side of the interview. Thank you so much. Um, okay, as we said, Kelly Murray is our guest. So let's welcome her back on. She is the founder of Kelly Murray Sleep Consulting. She is both a pediatric sleep consultant. So she works with the babies and the kids. But today we're focusing on the big kids. She is also an adult sleep coach. Kelly, thank you so much for joining me. Hi, Sunny. Thank you so much for having me. Such an honor of course, to be here. I your hair is gorgeous. I want to run my fingers through it. I love it. What, <laughs> shampoo, what shampoo do you use? Just really quick. <laughs> I actually washed my hair. I think that's what um, why it looks so good today. It's really good. Kerastase. It's expensive, oh, but it's I love worth Karastase. it. I only wash my hair once a week. That so is, I do, as a fellow long-haired person, I think that is a smart tactic. You like limit the um, heat exposure, right? Right. Okay. Like that was, I needed to get that out of the way. I don't know the why. Time. Like it's so time consuming to wash oh, it is. long hair. I don't have time to wash it more than just once a week. It's Turns an out, arm workout. It's in a ponytail, braids, tons of dry shampoo. And Kelly, you're a mom as well, too. We spoke a little bit about how you help um, children get on good sleep, get good sleep habits. But tell us how old your kids are. Yes, yeah, so I have two kids, um, six and almost eight. Okay. Did you sleep train them? Just out of curiosity. I'm sure you did. Yeah, it's really ironic. So I was once one of those moms who secretly judged parents who did sleep training. <laughs> because my daughter was just an amazing sleeper. Come to find out, she's like a unicorn. And so I would think to myself, I would never let my child cry. Like, no way. That's just not for me. And then once my son Braden came along, he is like a mama's boy. He would still be in my bed today if I allowed him to. But he was up every hour on the hour. And after nine months of it, I thought to myself, maybe these people are onto something with this sleep training. Well, that's the thing. I think, you know, a lot of the questions I got submitted when we put this topic out there did really have to do with when women had children, how that just was the beginning of a change in their sleep patterns. So uh, maybe we start there and you don't have to be a mother to appreciate this because hormonal changes can kind of happen whenever. But since we're on the topic of kids, is there something that's happening in our bodies 
after we go through the pregnancy, the breastfeeding, the sleep training, getting them on a schedule, you would think that after we go through all of that, it would be easy for us to sleep because we're so damn exhausted, but that's <laughs> not always the case. So what is going on? Yeah, I think there could be multiple factors. So first with pregnancy, it changes your hormones. And, um, you know, after giving birth, you're still breastfeeding and that changes your hormones too. So your hormones get out of whack. And if our hormones aren't balanced, specifically if you're what we call um, estrogen dominant, you have a higher level of estrogen compared to progesterone that can cause sleep issues. Also just, you know, being busy. Let's face it, us moms, we don't get a lot of downtime. And so you're, if you're going at 100 miles per hour a day and not taking time to take breaks, to unwind and relax at night, that's going to impact your sleep too. And then if you're just used to not getting good sleep, it starts to change your mindset around sleep. Like Rachel was saying earlier, you start to tell yourself that you're not a good sleeper and our subconscious controls our sleep. So what you tell your subconscious you know, usually ends up manifesting itself. And there's then becomes just a lot of anxiety around sleep. So you go to bed, you don't know what the night's going to hold. So you're anxious and that increases your cortisol levels. Um, cortisol is the alert hormone and you want those mm -hmm. levels to be low at night. You know, if you wake up in the middle of the night, which is really natural for us to do, we all wake up about five times throughout the night. If you're telling yourself you're not a good sleeper and you wake up in the middle of the night, you're like, oh no, I'm awake again. And instead it's of horrible. like turning over, looking at the clock and going back to sleep, then you just like gave yourself this huge cortisol spike and then you're going to have trouble falling back to sleep. It's proof of how what we tell ourselves, how our internal dialogue can impact our physical health and well-being. I like to pull this trick. If I ever have to wake up in the middle of the night, tell me if you do this, Kelly, and you have to, you know, you're obviously physically moving. I just keep my eyes as closed as possible and like pretend like I'm sleepwalking because if I even open my eyes wide enough, it's like, okay, it's like that much harder for me to fall back asleep. Is there something to when we have those moments of wakefulness that we can do physically to allow our body to more easily go back down to sleep? Because that was another common question is, yeah, I can fall asleep, but it's those periods of wakefulness at night that really get me. Yeah, I find that most people don't have issues falling asleep, it's staying asleep. So the one thing you could do is try to trick your subconscious by telling yourself that you're still sleeping. Because we, it's natural to have those wake-ups. So when you wake up, you're like, okay, this is natural. I'm still sleeping. I'm going to go back to sleep. And then, you know, sometimes that does the trick. Um, but if it doesn't and you find yourself starting to stress out about being awake, the best thing to do is to get out of your bed. Because the more time you spend stressed out in bed, then your brain starts to associate your bed with stress. And we want your brain to only associate your bed with rest and relaxation and sleep. And so okay, wait, this, is, this is blowing my mind. Get out of bed, physically remove I yourself. know. I have a hard time convincing clients to do this, but it works. They may not fall asleep faster when they initially start doing this, but what happens is over time, they reprogram their brain. Their brain no longer looks at it as it's normal to be awake, stressing out in bed. They, the brain associates the bed with only sleep. Wow, that's fascinating. So run us through how that actually looks. Say I'm the person, three o'clock for some reason seems to be the witching hour for a lot of people. I wake up at three o'clock at least three or four times a week. What is the first thing I'm doing as soon as my eyes open? Am I just getting up and taking a walk, finding another place to sit? How does that look? 
Yeah, I would give yourself some time because those wake ups, it's normal for them to be as long as 10 minutes. So if you wake up, just, you know, try to stay chill about it. Like, this is normal. I'm still sleeping. Maybe I'm in light sleep. And, you know, try to go to your happy place, think happy thoughts. And if you find like it feels like it's been a good 10, 15 minutes and you start to stress out, the best thing to do is just get out of bed and either find like a little place in your bedroom where you can sit or go into another room, keep the lights very dim. If you have blue, black, or glasses, throw those on. And then do something either mundane or relaxing, like read your Kindle, until you feel really, really sleepy again. And then jump back into bed. You don't want to go back into your bed until you actually feel tired. Because if you're not tired, when you jump in bed, you're going to have a hard time sleeping. You're going to stress out even more. Is that why some sleep experts say watching television in bed is a bad idea? In fact, some caution against even having any digital devices in the bedroom? Yes, yes, because you don't you don't want your your brain to associate your bed your bedroom with being active and being on. So but when am I going to watch really Netflix in comfort though? I mean, do, do we just <laughs> say like keep that in the living room and that's it? You know, to be honest, I have a I have a TV in my bedroom. So what I do is I'll have my TV on and I'll sit in a chair instead of my bed and have my blue blockers on and make sure my TV is a good eight feet away from me and watch television. But I'm not going to watch television that 30 minutes before bed because that's the time that you really want to avoid screens because it can inhibit your melatonin production. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, let's talk about that lead up to our actual sleep. So routines, we keep hearing this. It's a little bit of a catchphrase these days. What's your morning routine? What's your nighttime routine? But is there any science behind a good nighttime routine actually being able to prepare us for good sleep? Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's the first thing I have my clients do is to up level their bedtime routine. It makes a huge difference. You want to make sure you're preparing your body and your mind for sleep. So I recommend reserving 30 to 60 minutes to go undergo your bedtime routine without screens. And so I really like to start a bedtime routine with either a bath or a shower. And the reason why is number one, it's so different than what you're doing throughout the day that it's going to be a, a strong trigger to your brain that sleep is coming. And then number two, it also helps with your melatonin production because what it does is your body's going to heat up when you're in the bath or shower. And as soon as you get out, your body temperature is going to plummet. And that plummet, plummeting in body temperature tells your body that it's nighttime. Because if you think about it, we're supposed to be sleeping outside and what happens at night, the body, um, the temperature goes down. And so your body temperature does too. So your body's waiting for your body temperature to go down to start producing melatonin. And also you want to make sure that you have the lights dim because that's another external cue to your body that it's nighttime. And then just, you know, do your hygiene and then after your hygiene, do something relaxing that doesn't entail a screen. It's okay to look at your Kindle as long as you have okay. like on night mode. Yes. Cell phones, not so much. I think that with the night mode, there's still a lot of blue and green lights that gets through. Um, you can listen to a podcast on your um, your cell phone. I know a really good one. We got. I've heard one. You can listen to a podcast. You can listen to a meditation read, um, just listen to music, stretch, do whatever helps you to unwind, talk to your spouse until you start to feel really sleepy. 
and then you're going to jump into bed because you don't want to jump in your bed too early because if you're not tired sufficiently, then you're going to start stressing mm-hmm. out because you're not falling asleep. Do you have a, a minimum number of parts of our routine that you suggest? I know for me, and th- this has worked for me, and so I've kept it, but for me, it's uh, a shower, it's pajamas and brushing teeth and hygiene and skincare. And then I have this weird thing where... <laughs> I take out my aromatherapy bomb and I set it on my nightstand I take out my neck and my hand cream and I set it and then I cocoon and I rub my body and I hold this, this little jar of aromatherapy. And Rachel's laughing at me. It's very weird looking because I'm in a robe too. So it's a very like gray gardens kind of vibe. And I'm like, Andrew, hold on. And I take a few deep breaths and that, and then we kick into, we do watch TV, but um, TV and then, Kindle and good night. Um, I'm almost scared to pull one of those things from the routine because I, I feel like I've become so dependent, but it's like a 10 part thing. And I feel like when I'm traveling, if I pull one of those plugs out, the whole machine's going to come crashing down. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that's good. It sounds like you programmed your brain that all these steps take place before you go to sleep and it's working. So if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I think aromatherapy is a great thing to do before bed because our sense of smell is really strong in triggering different emotions. So there's tons of research to show that lavender, chamomile, any of the woodsy scents like vitivere or sandalwood evokes a feeling of calm and relaxation. Okay, good. So you believe it in aromatherapy. It's not like a hokey kind of, no, this doesn't work. It actually has some some sort of science behind it. Yeah, absolutely. It's really good for relaxation. I'd say if you're an insomniac and you've been struggling for sleep for years, and you think that if you're going to buy a bottle of lavender and smell it before bed, that that's going to cure your <laughs> insomnia, it's probably not going to, um, but it helps. You know, every little thing that you can do to help yourself to unwind and relax is um, a positive thing. Okay, good, good, good. I want to know, Kelly, when people start working with you, I would imagine they've already experienced a level of difficulty, either falling or staying asleep. So what is a common complaint or issue that you hear from your clients when you work with them? And how long have they been sort of suffering with this before they finally hire someone to help them deal with it? Yes, as I mentioned earlier, most of my clients have no troubles falling asleep. It's staying asleep. That's the big issue. You know, like clockwork, they wake up at three, four o'clock in the morning and it takes them at least, you know, a half hour to an hour, maybe even two hours. Some of my clients don't even ever fall back to sleep. Um, so it's really those night wakings. And typically once people have reached me, they've tried everything. You know, they've tried the lavender, they've tried meditation, they've tried the Calm app, they've tried everything and they're still not sleeping. So most of my clients have suffered from insomnia for at least a few months. But what are they saying? Just like, I can't get back to sleep. And what is the first sort of treatment or routine that you prescribe to them? And we're not going to have you give away all of your secrets because we want people to reach out to you to work with you. But is it an individual thing? depending on the person's particular issue, or is there one thing you can give our listeners that they can maybe use as a starting point before they decide if they need additional help? Yeah. So I find by the time people reach me, they've already have like their sleep hygiene in check, you know, for the most part, because you can find a lot of that information online. So really one of the first things I do is I help them get out their worries and concerns and put those worries and concerns on paper and Mm -hmm. analyze them. Because what's happening is we're not giving our 
ourselves time to process our feelings and our emotions. And then at three o'clock in the morning, when everything's quiet and you wake up, what is the brain going to want to do? It's going to want to spend time processing those things. So I think it can be really helpful to take at least 10 minutes out of your day, you know, towards the end of your work day. You don't want to do this right before bed because it could be too upsetting. And just write down everything that's bothering you and ask yourself, is this something I can control? Um, if so, come up with some solutions. And if it's not something you can control, ask yourself, is this distorted um, thinking? Is this 100% true? And if it's mm -hmm. not, think of like a, a turnaround, something that's more neutral or, mm -hmm. you know, ideally positive, but you don't have to lie to yourself. If you could just come up with an alternative thought that's more neutral, that's really going to help to alleviate your anxiety. Because whenever we're anxious, our bodies produce cortisol. Mm -hmm. And it's the elevated amounts of cortisol in your system that causes um, issues with sleep, both falling asleep say, and staying asleep. Say we have a relationship in our life or a problem, uh, a medical issue, something that's pervasive that always at a low level is troubling us. And, and, and that's what comes up when we're sleeping. I'm hearing you say that these issues are what surfaces at night. And not only is it a ringing endorsement for therapy, but it also makes me wonder if we do have stressors in our lives that aren't going to go away. And those are the things that keep coming up. Um, is it a matter of like a mantra or like, what is the practical tip for someone who has that low level and say they're writing or journaling this and trying to get it out as much as possible, but it's still is kind of under there and it will be for a while. What do you say to that client? Yeah, so definitely the first step is therapy. You know, if there's a, a problem that's continuous in your life that you need to address, I definitely recommend um, enlisting the help of a, of a professional. Um, another thing they can look into that um, has really helped a lot of my clients. I know it may sound like hocus pocus, you know, woo woo, um, new age, but it's tapping. We love woo woo here. <laughs> it's tapping the emotional freedom technique. Um, show me. Can you show clients. me a little bit? So I'm not trained in it, but what it is, is that we have like electrical currents running through our bodies and they start to absorb negative emotions and you need to release those emotions and rewire those circuits. And so with the tapping, you tap on different pressure points, just kind of like acupuncture. And I think you first, what you do is you um, say the phrase that keeps um, coming up in your head about whatever issue you're having um, so that you can release that. And then you come up with a more positive or neutral mantra. Oh, I love so that. I hope and I'm people, explaining this correctly. So. It but, sounds um, good to me. And it sounds like it would be a great starting point for people. Yeah. And you can find videos um, on YouTube. There's tons of capping videos on YouTube for whatever, like any type of ailment that you have. You know, yeah, if it's work stress or problems with your relationship, or maybe you had a death of a loved one. There's tons of free content out there. But I know that there's a lot of great um, tapping therapists that you can work with one-on-one. -on -one. Rachel, Kelly's you just right. Producer yeah. Rachel Hopman and I've done <laughs> the tapping and it's different pressure points. So you say like the negative thoughts first, like I'm not good enough. And then it's under the eye and you tap and you say the thing and then you do that. And then you 
the thing into the positive mantra that she was saying, like, I am enough, I'm safe, you tap under here and under your arm. Gabby Bernstein does a lot of this. Um, but like Kelly was saying, yeah, just YouTube. There's a ton of, of techniques and it's proven a lot to work. Okay, I'm going to leave now. <laughs> oh, Rach, bring the wisdom. Okay, we'll talk when we get you back on after the show. Rachel, thank you. That's Well, that's a ringing endorsement for it. I, I've never tried that before. It sounds kind of counterintuitive to me because it's like you're tap, you're saying the negative things out loud, but then I guess as long as you're following up with the positive affirmations, that's sort of closing the circle and relaxing you. Yeah, yeah. I think the key is like to feel those negative emotions and release them first before you Got it. come up with the, the flip statement that's more neutral right. and positive. Oh, gosh. I've never heard of that before. I love that. Um, I want to run through a list of... Um, we'll call them sleep aids over the counter sleep treatments for lack of a better term. But I do want to cover this before we get into that. At what point does someone know they need the help of a professional in getting a, you know, getting good sleep hygiene? Yeah, I would say that if you tried everything that you can find online, you know, avoiding um, blue light before bed, you're meditating, you're managing your stress, you're doing all the things and you're still not sleeping after a good month, then I would recommend seeing a professional. I would start first with your medical doctor just to make sure that there's nothing underlying. You know, there could be mm -hmm. sleep apnea, restless leg syndrome. And if everything checks out, then I would reach out to a sleep coach. We'll reach out to you. And and Kelly, at the moment, just before we get into this, do you take on clients? I know so your social media is active. Best way to reach out to you would be through there. And you can do all of this stuff remotely with clients, right? Yes, absolutely. I work with clients around the world. Okay. All right. Good, good, good. Okay. So here's a couple of common sleep aids, supplements or whatever, things that people do and take to sleep well. And I want your sort of knee-jerk reaction here. First thing, um, sleep supplements. I, melatonin is the first one that we're showing here. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you know what? It really depends on the person. So the what I would start with is trying to naturally raise your melatonin levels by exposing yourself to light first thing in the morning because um, there's little neurons in our eyes that collect data from our environment to know what time it is. So if you expose yourself to morning light and you only need two to 10 minutes, that's going to first kickstart your cortisol levels so that they spike and then they'll start to rebound. And it mm -hmm. also programs your melatonin to be released about, you know, 10 hours later. Um, and then also you can go outside around sunset. So mm -hmm. the way that the, the sun is hitting your eyes at that 45 degree angle, the rays that um, you see, they're more orange and red. That sends a signal to your brain that um, it's nightfall. So your body will start suppressing cortisol and producing melatonin. Avoid the screens for 30 to 60 minutes before bed. And then work on lowering your body temperature by turning down your thermostats and also taking like a bath, like I mentioned before. So if you're doing all those things, you should have enough melatonin in your system. However, I do have clients who have issues with their gut, their gut health, and um, melatonin, 70% of melatonin is produced in the stomach. And so if they have gut dysbiosis or leaky gut, then that can inhibit their body's ability to produce enough melatonin. So for those clients, then I definitely recommend taking a melatonin supplement as we're working on yeah. their gut health. Because I have most of my clients take five functional lab tests so that mm -hmm. we can identify any hidden stressors and imbalances in their in their body that can be contributing to their insomnia. 
that is something I have learned today. I never knew the melatonin because I always hear of it as a brain chemical and a hormone that it was produced in the gut. And that's fascinating. So we need to get on those gut tests and make sure that that's all in check. I missed, we're pulling these sleep supplement pictures back up here. I missed CBD, which is the first one there too. I'm a huge fan of CBD just to not be a total basket case in general, but does it help with sleep at night? Yeah. Again, I think it depends on the individual and what's causing your sleep issues. Um, so it, it never hurts to try as long as it's cleared by your doctor. Um, but I find that the individuals that CBD works best for are the ones who have what we call adrenal fatigue. So they're just mm. so stressed out and they've been stressed out for such a long period of time that are, their adrenals slow down and stop producing enough um, cortisol. And the CBD is an adaptogen. It's going to help to support their adrenals. And also, you know, as time goes on, our bodies actually produce endocannabinoids. So mm -hmm. um, we have an endocannabinoid system, just like we have a digestive system, a respiratory system. And this system helps everything to, to talk to each other and also helps a lot with your nervous system. And so as you age... And um, if you're exposed to a lot of stress, your body's ability to produce these endocannabinoids that feeds this system, um, it starts to become impaired. And if that's the case, if you're supplementing with CBD, that's really going to help as well. Yeah. Especially your nervous I, system. Yeah. Maybe that's why I see such good results with CBD in particular is because I know from my own panels too that my adrenals are just fried, which thank you, 15 years in news. Um, and I do really, I, when I take it out of the nighttime routine, it's not a huge loss necessarily, but I do. I'm a personal fan of that. Um, okay. Let's look at the next one. Magnesium is another favorite of mine personally. Um, do you use this supplement and what do you suggest? I know it's individual, but in general for your clients when it comes to magnesium. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most of my clients are taking a magnesium supplement. And one thing I do with my clients is I have them um, take an HTMA, a hair tissue mineral analysis, so we can see if they're deficient in certain minerals. So that will tell us if they're deficient in magnesium, but also it tells us if they're deficient, deficient in potassium and sodium which work in concert with magnesium. So you can take all the magnesium you, you want, but if you don't have enough potassium and sodium, your body isn't going to use it. Your body's not going to be able to dissolve it. Yeah, I heard this crazy statistic and I can't remember the exact number, but it was pretty much the entire population is deficient in magnesium because it's a, it's a mineral that we got from the soil. So when we would when we had healthy soil stores and we weren't constantly farming our land, we were getting it naturally, but these past how many ever years, that's not the case anymore. So um, they said, you know, this doctor that I spoke with was like, yeah, almost every person on the street these days is, is deficient in that. So I just thought that was yeah, interesting. Yeah, I've, I've heard the same thing. They say 75% of individuals aren't meeting the daily recommended requirement of magnesium because, wow. yeah, our soil just doesn't contain the minerals that it should. Yeah, that's um, crazy. However, I've heard that only 2% of the population is really deficient in, magne in magnesium. Okay, good to know. Um, okay, let's go to the picture one more time. We kind of put a generic sleep aid, but there are prescription sleep aids that people use. There are over-the-counter sleep aids. People do NyQuil. People do Benadryl. Let's just kind of classify these all as like a medical sleep aid. I have a feeling I know what you're going to say about this. Do you give the thumbs up or the thumbs down to these guys? You know, I think that they're good short-term. 
So say okay. you need to break a, break a streak of insomnia that you just can't handle it anymore. You're so exhausted because you haven't slept in a week. You know, maybe if you can take some Benadryl or NyQuil and get like one good night of sleep, that's going to break. That's going to break the streak. And also what it's going to do, is going to improve your sleep confidence. But those sleep aids aren't meant to be used long term. Mm -hmm. And the problem with the sleep aids is that the quality of sleep that you're getting with them is it's not good quality. It's a sedative. It's an artificial sleep. So you're not entering all the different stages of sleep that you need for your mental and physical health. I forgot to ask this at the top, but I feel like this is the perfect segue. Uh, tell us why good sleep is so important and what it's connected to the pathways and the things happening in our body that when we lack it may suffer. Yeah, I could spend like a whole hour talking about this because there's so many benefits. So it's not just about restoration of energy. I like to think of it as housekeeping for our bodies and our mind. So for example, when we're sleeping, our immune system is activated. Our body's releasing cytokines, which are proteins that help with inflammation, um, white blood cells, T cells, and helping us to fight infection, viruses, bacteria. And so if you're not getting enough sleep, you could you know, get sick. Research shows that individuals who sleep less than seven hours per night, which is what's recommended at least seven hours, that they're three times more likely to catch a cold. And we also know that vaccines are 11 times more effective after a good night's sleep because our immune system is activated. Then when it comes to our mental health, um, while we're sleeping, our brains are taking information from our short-term memories and storing this information into our long-term memories consolidating memories, also the synapses that helps our brains to operate, they're being rebooted. So if you don't, you know, get enough sleep, you're just going to have a hard time thinking straight the next day, it can impair your memory. And also when it comes to our emotional health, when you're not getting enough sleep, hmm. your body thinks that there must be some sort of danger, because it's not natural. You know, you, there must be some sort of threat. There must be like a lion nearby. And so what happens is your body enters what we call the fight or flight state so that it can um, escape the danger. And so um, part of that fight or flight state is that your amygdala, which is the portion of the brain that regulates the fear response, it's turned on to overdrive. So any tiny little stressor is then perceived as a big deal so that we can have a strong reaction and protect ourselves. Well, you know, that's not that helpful these days because we're just inundated with little stressors. So if you're not getting enough sleep, you go to Starbucks, they get your order wrong. You may like then go off on the barista. Never happened before. No, I'm just kidding. I go off on my kids. Does that, does that count? I'm like, here's what I need you to do. Just don't talk for the next five minutes. Literally. Oh gosh, it's horrible. When I'm tired though, I really do feel like the self-editing goes away. The ability to control the feelings and emotions. Thankfully, we're kind of nearing the end of the sleepless nights, but you really, as a, as a new parent, uh, you just don't appreciate it until you're a new parent, how vital good sleep is to your, to your mental health and emotional health. And I know all the parents out there understand that because it's a very, very real thing. Yes. Yes. I remember when my son wasn't sleeping, I just was constantly blowing up at my toddler. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to sleep train him because of yeah. her. It's like, it's not fair to her. I just don't have any patience for her.
Yeah, I mean, it's, it's crazy. Um, I want to ask you this too. Is there like a length of time or a period of time bearing in mind that some of the people listening to this are going through those types of phases and it's going to be not impossible, but difficult to have perfect sleep habits for a period of time? Like how long can you get away with not getting great sleep for before you start to see the breakdown so that we know when to start hopping in and really changing things before we do serious damage? Yeah, I would say if it's situational, you know, maybe you're um, switching jobs or going through a divorce. And once that stressor is gone and you're still not sleeping, then I would definitely seek professional help. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. What about noisy partners, people that keep you awake with snoring or talking in your sleep or grinding their teeth? What do we do about this besides just physically pushing them out of the bed? <laughs> That's what I do. I just turn over, hit my husband, <laughs> roll over on your, on your back. You're snoring. <laughs> um, so I recommend earplugs, a sound machine, Bose, they recently came out with these, um, they're like little AirPods that are for sleep. So they're super soft. You can sleep with them on okay. and they um, pump white noise into your, into your ears. But Which I are, feel like, why are we making the change when it's that that's making the noise? Can we just, you know what I do? It's a great trick. You just kind of clap in their face. Hey, hey, you're snoring again. It just wakes them up. And then yeah, yeah. they're quiet for long enough for you to fall back asleep. <laughs> Right, right. So, but the problem is some people who have issues with sleep, if their partner wakes them up, then they may have a really hard time falling back to sleep. So the best thing to do is to try to drown out the noise. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times, like if my husband's had a couple of cocktails, I know he's going to snore. I have him sleep somewhere else. I'm like, all right, oh, buddy, you know, yeah. <laughs> you're Plan ahead. in the guest room tonight. Plan ahead. I love it. Um, I did a little bit of reading and found this interesting. There's something called sleep chronotypes. What are they? And how does knowing what we are help us improve our sleep? Yeah, chronotypes are so much fun. So um, your chronotype is your genetically predetermined timing of your sleep and awake cycles. So there's four different chronotypes that Dr. Michael Bruce, he is a um, world-renowned sleep expert, has identified. So there's the lion. The lions are the king of the jungle. They're the early birds who get more done before eight o'clock in the morning than most of us get done all day. Um, so they like to wake up early, go to bed early. There's the bear, the bear that's um, majority of the population, um, around 50% of the population who is more on a solar schedule. So they wake up with the sun and they fall asleep, you know, a few hours after sunset. Um, and then there's the wolves. Those are the creative types that um, like to stay up late because that's when they have the most energy and creativity. So they go to bed late, sleep in. And then lastly, there's the dolphin. So the dolphin, those are the folks that are, are insomniacs. So dolphins only sleep with half of their brain shut down, just like insomniacs. They have a hard time turning off their minds. They're highly intelligent, um, but they just have this you know, issue with turning that busy mind off. Oh, wow. I did take the test and I'm a bear, um, which it sounds like most of the population is. I, yeah, I, and that's such a good thing because our, our, you know, since the most of the population are bears, our world revolves around you. <laughs> it's like the only thing that the world revolves around before. So that is great to know. I wish my kids were better at this. I, I want to ask you this very quickly for people out there who are wanting to improve their children's sleep schedules, because we know that our sleep health as parents does really depend on our kids' schedules to an extent. How old is 
too old because you hear sleep training and you always think babies. But if we want to get our older kids on a sleep schedule, do you work with them too? And and how quickly can you start to see an improvement with those kids? Yeah, so it's really never too old to get control of your child's sleep. So um, myself and my team, we're only trained in working with kids up to five. Okay. Um, when it comes to having a sleep association, say they're sleeping with a parent or they require a parent to be in their room. And we have lots of great success with these older kiddos. Um, and if they're over five, there are sleep consultants that specialize, um, you know, in more adolescents. Um, you can also go to a um, psychologist. They can help a lot too, because typically um, if a child is still having lots of issues sleeping and they're older than five, it could be um, because of anxiety. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. Well, I'm going to be looking into that. We have wakeful children in our house. They go right back to sleep, but they're always popping up to see what's going on and then falling back asleep often in my bed in the middle of the night. So that's pleasant. Oh, no. Are oh, you in the room with them as they fall asleep? Usually not all the time. Sometimes I just sit in the middle, like their rooms kind of face a center room. And so sometimes I just sit there so that they know that I'm nearby. Lots, you know what I blame? We've been watching, this is the result of the pandemic, a lot of YouTube. And my son in particular is seeing content that's inadvertently seeing content that's probably a little scary. You know, he watches these um, Roblox or, or like how-to tutorials for the games that he plays. And there's some scenes with like people chasing you with a knife or murder. I mean, like it's high level content. And of course you don't know what they're watching all the time because you see the title and it says something very age appropriate. So anyway, I think that's what it's linked to. And it's hard to put the toothpaste back in the tube there because once they've seen something that gives them that fear, then it's really hard to be like, Hey, I promise you that's fake. That's a video game, blah, blah, blah. I mean, so that's where we are and it's not fun and it's not easy. Yeah, no, I feel you. My kids were addicted to the iPad this summer. And I actually told them that I lost them <laughs> so that there's not even an option anymore. Because like your son, my son was watching a lot of violent content, even though he was watching YouTube kids. Yeah, he was it's watching crazy. like Lego Avengers and Star Wars. And it was very violent. And he was having issues with bad dreams, too. Yeah, so that was something I that I didn't realize, like that they could sneak in that type of like a higher level or adult themes into what really is content that's technically aimed at kids. And it's just, it's, it's really resulted in some literal sleepless nights. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And let's face it. Like when you, your child is watching the iPad, you're doing that because you want the iPad to be a babysitter, right? So you're not going to yeah. be watching them watch the iPad. It kind of defeats the purpose. Um, so it could be really hard. So one thing I do find helpful in those situations is having your child come up with a sleep story every night. So have them before you start the bedtime routine, draw a little picture of what they want to dream about and then tell you a story about what they want to dream about that night. And then if they wake up in the middle of the night and they're having, you know, they had a bad dream, then you talk to them about the story again. Okay, let's talk about your, your bedtime story again. That way it helps to change the channel of their brain and oh, get them that. in a more happy place. I love that. That's like their own little version of journaling and like getting into the right mind space before bed. Yeah. Yeah. You can even do a dream jar. I did this with my daughter at one time where we um, took little pieces of paper and wrote happy memories um, on them and threw them in the jar. And so if she woke up in the middle of the night and had a bad dream, we would talk about the bad dream, but then we would choose a piece of paper and talk about whatever, you know, memory or special place um, was jotted down on the paper. 
Oh, I love that. That's brilliant. Well, Kelly, it has been a total pleasure talking with you. I want you to tell everybody if they're interested in working with you or learning more about specifically um, how you work with clients, where can we find you? Yeah, absolutely. So if you're interested in working with me um, on your sleep, just head to Kelly Murray Adult Sleep. Um, you could also go to my pediatric um, page, which is Kelly Murray Sleep, and there's a link there that will um, direct you to my adult page. But if you have issues with your kiddo sleep, um, head to Kelly Murray Sleep. And then, of course, you can always follow me on Instagram, um, Kelly Murray Sleep for Kids and Kelly Murray Adult Sleep for Adults. And we have been tagging Kelly in our group and all of our stories, guys. So make sure you go to my Instagram at Sunny About it and check it out and you'll be directed toward her as well. We tagged her in a couple of grid posts as well. So you can find her there. Uh, Kelly, I want to thank you. The biggest, biggest thank you, not only for all of your information and wisdom, but also for being the first guest of the new season. This was really fun to break in this new year with you. So I appreciate it. Yeah, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. And I hope that your viewers are able to take the tips and translate those into getting more sleep every night. Yes, I'm already going to be incorporating some new things into my routine. Kelly, thank you again. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Oh, that was so fun. Let's pop on with producer Rachel again. Um, yes. Wait, can so we ask good. Kelly about the... Um, tracking sleep with devices which has become so oh, popular yeah like, yeah yeah do you what do we actually do with that information kelly like what yeah is this even helpful to us or is it harmful so i have a love hate relationship with these tracking devices i feel like if you're already having sleep issues seeing seeing it in black and white can go one of two directions either you realize wow i'm actually getting more sleep than i thought i was because there was a study to show that insomniacs underestimate the amount of sleep that they get by about an hour. So it could be good in that aspect. Or if the data isn't you know, desirable, then it can cause more sleep anxiety and almost like an obsession where your mood that day is going to depend on the data that you see on your tracking device. So I, so a person like me with anxiety sleep should not be worried about Right, right. It's not going to help me at all. Yeah, if you wear it and you see that you like what you see and it's helping to boost your confidence around sleep, then go for it. But if it's causing more anxiety, scrap it. Good to know. Thank you. That was super helpful. <laughs> yeah, Thanks, Kelly. Thanks, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, I have a friend who just got the aura ring. I mean, I, I'm what I'm hearing, and I'm curious, Rach, after you listen to that too, what you think. It's just the, the psychology around it is just the biggest part, the addressing our big things, whether it's through therapy or journaling or being on top of that, because that's literally the stuff that keeps us up at night. So yeah, addressing that seems like the first step. Exactly. And what I found interesting was her tip about the dream story for the kids. Mm. Uh, yeah. I can't, adults could totally do that too. It's a great That's idea. Setting yeah. the intention before you go to bed, what you want to dream about and ch changing that process. And then if you wake up, why couldn't an adult, could it, Kelly, could an adult also apply that child um, dream thing to like set, like deciding what you want your dream to be? Or yeah, only yeah absolutely. No, I have my um, adult clients do that too. So as they're trying to fall asleep, think about a special place or memory. And then if you wake up again, go back to that memory. 
I, I figured as much. So that's, that I think would be helpful for a person like me. So thanks. Thanks again, Kelly. Sorry. Yeah. To keep you should also check out some sleep mantras. They really help as well. I'll send you a link to a really good article that lists a ton of sleep mantras. Cool. Oh, that's perfect. We'll link it in show notes too. Definitely send that to us. Thanks. Yeah, I think Thanks, there, there's a lot of, of helpful uh, tips with that. But I had that realization actually not too many nights ago where I was like, I'm just telling myself that I mm -hmm. don't sleep well and I have anxiety right. about falling asleep. And then I was like, wait a second. I've ha I didn't used to be like that. I literally just don't have to tell myself that story anymore and change the thought and, and going, mm -hmm. no, I can sleep just fine and I'm going to sleep just fine. And sort of like practicing letting that old thought process go and replacing it with a new one. I'm sure that's not the like super scientific expertise from Kelly, but like that's definitely helped me the last couple of nights. So yeah, it's a starting point. And I do think it's those stories that we tell ourselves or that we've been told. And sometimes, especially like growing up, it's like, oh, you were the bad sleeper and you never did this. And that stuff even sticks with you. Things you were told in your childhood about your habits and who you are. So um, so yeah, gosh, really good stuff. So we gotta, we gotta get this all put together for you guys. And on Instagram, by the way, just a reminder, if you're listening on the podcast on Thursdays, you're watching live, we always like to take the juicy bits and chop them into little parts and put them up on Instagram on social media. So we'll be doing that with this interview too, but, um, super, super fun start to the season. Rach, thank you for hopping on for a couple of minutes. I see her nodding in the background. A huge thanks to Kelly. Please do guys follow along on Instagram at Sunny Avada and leave a rating and review. The goal this season is to get those up because that makes a huge, huge difference in getting these shows out to people who might enjoy them or find them useful. Check us out at wegotatalk.com slash blog for all articles related to our guests. And thank you again so much for watching and or listening to this episode of We Gotta Talk. We'll see you next week with more goodness. Bye.